and welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham. I'm a business journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. Today, we're talking about IPOs. Now, after a quiet few years, it seemed very recently that things had turned a corner with some blockbuster IPOs taking place, including the hotly anticipated listing of chipmaker Arm. But is it all good news? To answer that question, I'm joined by Samuel Kerr, who's the ECM editor at Ion Analytics. Hi, Sam. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Juliana. Thanks for having me. So IPOs seem to be picking up. Are we finally out of this two-year slump? Well, we definitely started September hoping so. Uh, you know, we had some big uh, talk over the summer about deals to come this autumn, and uh, we started off really well. We had a mega IPO in the US in the form of uh, British semiconductor company Arm, which was uh, sold by SoftBank, and uh, a couple of other big US IPOs as well. And we've had uh, quite a bit of activity on this side of the Atlantic as well in Europe, with three deals launching in September. One, uh, uh, the uh, German uh, glass bar maker shop farmers uh, priced and, and, and seems to have priced very well. And we have another two deal expected to price in the, this week and next. So yeah, it, it does feel like there, there, there is some momentum behind uh, behind the asset class, but there are still some problems. <laughs> that uh, So I would say we're in green shoots of recovery rather than uh, through the slump. Okay. And can you go into a bit more detail about what's been going on on both sides of the Atlantic? You've mentioned some of those names, including the most hotly anticipated one, Arm, but there's also been Instacart in, in the US as well. There has. Uh, so, so Arm was, uh, was, a, was a real blowout deal with 28 banks on the deal, uh, massive, massive levels of subscription, uh, you know, huge reports in the financial press and the mainstream financial press. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't quite trust those numbers, right? Because uh, hedge funds often inflate their orders and IPOs. But there were talks of Arm being 10 times oversubscribed. Instacart as well had a very uh, good uh, book from what we hear uh, and was uh, hot, hotly in hot demand as well. And so both those deals were considered to be very, very, very good transactions and, and traded up well on the first day. Um, it unfortunately hasn't seemed to have lasted, uh, which is which is the issue with uh, with, with those deals. Uh, Arm now uh, is only slightly above its IPO price. I mean, today, which is the 4th of October, it, it's just above the 51 where it priced its IPO, despite being up 25% on the first day. So we had an initial very large pop there, and then uh, it's lost most of those gains since. And uh, it's unfortunately a pretty similar story with Instacart. You know, both those deals have struggled to maintain the early momentum that they've had, which means that within the IPO market itself, people really went from sort of jubilation around uh, the US deals to, to a little bit of concern that, that the, the market isn't quite as strong as they thought it was. Um, this side of the Atlantic, we've uh, had uh, a big European IPO in the form of uh, Shot Pharma, which was sold by Shot AG. It's their um, medical uh, glass and bars unit. And that does seem to have gone pretty well. It uh, got a lot of demand uh, during book build. Uh, all the investors that we spoke to, some of the, the biggest ones in Europe were all looking at it and all thought it was a high quality company. It's a very niche company uh you know it's pretty much one of the few uh, operators in its sector which is a very high margin sector 
And alongside that, we have another couple of interesting deals. We have a French software company, Plan Is Where, and then we have a German firm, Rank, which is uh, interesting because it makes um, it's mainly a defense contractor. It's a former gearbox division of VW. It was bought by uh, Triton, uh, the sponsor, and uh, now the uh, is, is being IPO'd. And, and uh, it's really the interest in Rank, I think, has picked up very much around the war in Ukraine, which uh, has brought that sector really back into force. And I think if you look at a couple of other European listed stocks like Metal and Hensolt, which are both operating in that industry. Uh, the growth of those stocks since the start of the war of Ukraine shows that there is now a real focus from investors on European defence. So, so it's, it's an interesting time, definitely. But uh, I think a uh, little bit more fragile, unfortunately, than we thought it was going to be. And can we just go back to the US and the listings of Arm and Instacart? What's the reason that those deals have gone down so much since they listed? Well, one of the major problems with, with, with both uh, deals was the size of the free float, in my opinion. And uh, it's the opinion, I think, of quite a few people in the market. Um, there's a very uh, you know, good former banker called Craig Coben, who we spoke to, and also writes a regular column in the FT who agrees. And, and I, I think uh, they're, they're, the idea around small free floats normally is that you know you can sell less at a smaller at a lower valuation and give a little bit to investors. But if you make that free float too small, uh, then it really does hit your liquidity and trading. Trading, sorry. So arm. Um, uh, you know, really floated less than 10% of the company. Uh, and uh, quite a lot of the, the shares went to strategic buyers who aren't really regular traders of stock. So, you know, there was big reports of Apple and NVIDIA buying into the IPO. That meant that hedge funds and equity investors who are normally your typical IPO book were probably given a lot less than they thought they were going to get. And that meant when Arm rose 25% on day one, it wasn't really a strategic investment for them. And they were then for possibly selling quite early on in that process. And it doesn't take very much selling on a small free float to, to really hit an IPO price. Uh, and IPOs are unfortunately always less liquid than other stocks. So they get hit by general volatility far more. Yeah, particularly if they're only selling 10% of the company. Yeah, and, and, and you've also got to remember that we had an issue with the Fed uh, on, on the, you know, around September 20th, uh, you know, when they came out. They didn't raise interest rates. They kept them where they were, but the Fed came out with a really hawkish message that sort of indicated to the market that interest rates were going to be a lot higher for a lot longer. Um, now, that's not particularly you know related specifically to arms business but it did hit equities as a whole and uh you know when again when you have less liquidity you are not as cushioned by these from these macro events as 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 other stocks now arm is not a complete failure by any means it's still above ipo price as of early october but uh it's certainly not the blowout success that people had hoped it was going to be and so despite issuance increasing it seems that investors are very selective about what they're investing in what makes a strong IPO candidate in this market? Well, you have to be must own. I think that's something that we've said a while. And I wrote a piece uh, this week for, for our weekly column, the ECM Pulse, where that was exactly the theme. You, if you're not an asset where investors absolutely have to buy you, then you have to offer value. Uh, those, those are really the only two things that you can bring to an investor portfolio. Uh, you know, when, when an investor is looking at a new company, an IPO, if you're offering something that they find very difficult to get as a, as a listed exposure already, then the IPO really is the only way that you can get access to that. I mean, if you think back to Porsche last year, the only way that you could sort of buy 
Porsche as a company was to own the stock. And there were very few car manufacturers of Porsche's profile that were already listed. You had Ferrari, but that was far more luxury. Then you also had other companies like, for example, Mercedes and BMW, which were far less luxurious. So, yeah, Porsche had that really interesting niche middle ground that investors really wanted to own. And it was such a blowout name uh, before it even came to the IPO market that people sort of had to own it. Or if they weren't going to own it, had to have a reason not to own it. Or own a Porsche. Yeah, <laughs> which, which actually a lot, of the, a lot of the guys in Germany probably did. And I know it had a lot of German uh, interest in that deal. But, you know, the thing, if you look at Shop Pharma, uh, Shop Pharma, again, is, in, it, you know, it's a very niche sector, but it makes sort of medical vials, uh, you know, and, and sort of sends them all across Europe. Now, the only way that you can get that exposure is on, on listed exchanges already is through a company called Stevenato, which is US listed, so therefore has a very high multiple. So you're paying a lot for that exposure. Or there's another company in Europe called Gerasheimer, but that's far less uh, sort of less high margin. Uh, so you can have a company which is sort of wider and broader in Europe, and uh, but you don't get that absolute niche exposure that you got in Shot Pharma, or you have to go for a US listed peer. So Shot had a really nice, unique value that people could buy into. Now, if you don't have that unique value, you have to be offering a compelling enough valuation for people to turn away from the abilities to buy a high a listed company, which has a strong track record in order to get in on an IPO discount. So, you know, if you can say, look, we are not as proven as this already listed company, you would do something similar, but hey, we can give you a great discount, then that's another way for people to get into the book. But as if you're approaching equity investors, you just have to have one of those two things. And if you aren't unique, but you aren't willing to offer a compelling value, then it really leaves you in a position where you're not going to be an attractive IPO candidate. Thank you. And there's no escaping it. We're getting to the end of 2023. I saw the Christmas trees being put up where (laughs) I live yesterday in the town. Can we expect to see any more big deals before the end of the year? We have one behemoth potentially before the end of the year in uh, the form of private equity firm CBC, which is looking at an Amsterdam listing. And uh, CBC has been talked about as an IPO for a really long time. But uh, as we wrote in our piece on Monday, the ECM Pulse, uh, they are taking meetings actively now to possibly look at a launch in October with a pricing maybe in November. Now, if CVC comes, that would almost be a Porsche-like level name in the European IPO market. It's a massive name in its sector. Um, there has been a bit of an issue with private equity IPOs. Some have not been particularly strong performers. Uh, Bridgepoint's IPO has, hasn't been a huge blowout success. While on the counterpoint, you know, IPO investors in EQT, which listed a, a little bit earlier than Bridgepoint, have, have done really well. So so there is a bit of a mixed equity story around the asset class. But CVC has been focused on for such a long period of time. And, and it has some very interesting investments, right? It's one of the biggest investors in global sport, which is something that people really want to seem to get exposure to at the moment. It's a huge investor in, in, in rugby. I think it, it's a major partner now in the, in the Six Nations. And, you know, given the Rugby World Cup's going on, it's a great time to possibly do that IPO with that and and uh, has had a history in sport as well with Formula One uh, before selling that asset. So CVC, I think, is a really, really interesting company and it gives people a lot of exposure to some private assets that they wouldn't normally be able to get. And it can use the IPO now to grow itself into this real multi-asset consolidator, perhaps in the form of sort of US firm like KKR. And so I think that's an attractive enough equity story and a big enough name that uh, people would be interested in that, even if we have slightly fragile equity markets. Moving away from IPO specifically, can we talk about the sentiment towards the broader equity capital markets as we head into the last few months of this year, please? 
Of course. So <laughs> it's, forgive me sometimes for oversimplifying, but the equity capital markets really is the same thing that affects equity markets in general. The equity, the sentiments on general equity indices is really what's going to be affecting investor appetite to invest in the new issue markets and equity capital markets. And at the moment, you know, there's a little bit of a cloud over them again because of what happened with the Fed at the, uh, in September. You know, if you look at now a lot of the indexes that measure investor sentiment, we're getting close to them being into what we call the fear index territory where people are quite frightened about the long-term direction of equities. I think of the message from the Fed that we're not going to get rate rises, sorry, rate cuts until at least perhaps you know, summer of next year. And that's the expectation if you look at all the Fed, you know, monitoring tools has given equity investors a little bit of a pause for thought. And I think a lot might be looking at maybe profit taking now into the end of the year, uh, which means we may have a little bit of a fragile equity market through to the end of 2023. I might be wrong and, you know, things do bounce back very quickly as we've seen in the last couple of years. But I think what it means is there does really have to be a lot of thought about investor sentiment. When you're looking at IPOs, block trades or anything, you're going to have to give investors enough cushion on price in order to make it more of a risk free investment for them. And again, no investment's ever risk free. But if you can reduce that risk for them in taking on that position, and it's always a substantial position in an equity capital markets transaction, then I think you're going to make investors a lot more comfortable with your deal. Deals will happen, but I think the chance of them happening at the price that sellers want to happen, them to happen at or even closer to a seller price is probably diminished now by the direction that we're seeing from global central banks. And I think we're likely to have possibly a more prolonged period of equity market volatility, which unfortunately does feed through to the equity capital markets. Great, Sam. Good to chat. Thanks very much. That was Samuel Kerr, Senior ECM Editor at Ion Analytics. Thanks for listening to Dealcast presented by Merger Market and SSNC Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, have a look at our show notes. Join us again next week.